0: Well, good morning, that was, that, was, that was good at the end there, wasn't it, yeah, it was good, and there was a different sort of rhythm at different times, that was, that was nice, that was very, very, very well done, very well done, um, I can't say, then that I've ever heard that song before, um, but there might be reasons for that, <laughs> but I enjoyed it, I enjoyed it. Do what? Elvis. I don't, you know, Elvis, I grew up independent Baptist and you did not listen to Elvis. <laughs> you, you just did not listen to Elvis. You just didn't do that. I know who Elvis is, by the way, and I have listened to him because I was one of those kids, but nonetheless. Yeah, great, great. It is, it is really great to be here today is everybody enjoying the weather yeah every everybody 70 degrees 74 degrees it's just really nice it dropped down to a nice 65 last night and then you know it's going to be about 70 today and this is this is great this is this is springtime if you're visiting with us for the very first time my name is philip and i'm the pastor here and so um this is this is who we are um so we're, we're glad that you're here. We're going through a series called, What Is Your Job Now? And, um, and to start today, it's, it's a series through the book of Job. And to start today, I want to talk about the word for wisdom, all right? So the word for wisdom in the Hebrew looks like this. Can anybody in, anybody pronounce that? Right. Yeah, I know one person in the back. Yeah. Yeah. It's Kalmal. Is what that is. So uh, turn to your neighbor and say, Kamal. Kamal, right. Now, that word in in the Hebrew language means skill, it means wisdom, and it means um, wisdom, okay? Skill, wisdom, and in wisdom, or cleverness and shrewdness in that particular regard. So it would be skill in scripture, like. War, in war, a skilled warrior have wisdom. Generally, it would be a general that would be able to see the events and the battles and where people are flanking and stuff and then use his wisdom to tell the other, his army, where to go in order to meet that challenge. It is skill and technology in scripture. I don't know if you know this or not, but technology is not really a new thing. It is when it becomes digital, maybe, but technology has always existed in Scripture. If you built something, you built it with technology. If you use some type of tool, if you decided to do something within the dirt, you use technology. So it's wisdom on how to use technology to get a job done. In Scripture, it's also used of sailing. There's wisdom in sailing. That's a reading of the wind and the waves and the water and the stars so that you know where you're going. And there's a wisdom there. So this this word encompasses all of that. It also encompasses administration. In Scripture, we know that Moses administered and actually got some wisdom from his father-in-law concerning administration of the children of Israel. And so he had wisdom, and he listened to wisdom, and it's wisdom in being able to administrate and move people toward a goal. So it, it's wisdom in that direction. Um, when you get to King Solomon, this word is used, and it's cleverness, and it's shrewdness, and, and it's things of that nature. Um, Wisdom, this particular word. It is also used in Job chapter 39, if you'll turn there, um, of the ostrich. So turn to Job chapter 39. An ostrich is the prettiest, ugliest bird I think I've ever seen in my life. It's just the face. Just I don't know. I don't know why we don't have a lot of memes with those. We have cats and stuff. I don't know why we have. I looked for memes, but they didn't make any sense, so I didn't really put them up there. So Job, Job thirty nine, and um, this is what it says in Job thirty nine verse thirteen. It says this. The wings of an ostrich wave proudly, but they are pinion peons and plumage of love. I couldn't see that word. Verse fourteen, for she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them, and that the wild beast may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers. Though her labor be in vain, yet she has no fear, because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding. When she arouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and his rider. So here in Scripture is is an animal, a bird, that God has withdrawn wisdom from. Very clear here in Scripture. She lays eggs, but she doesn't protect them. She lays them literally in the middle of a field. Has, has anybody ever been and seen an ostrich like at a zoo? Anybody seen at a zoo? One, one, one of my most favorite zoos in the world is Animal Kingdom because you get on this little ride right? And you ride around and you see all the animals. And I don't know, about half the time that I've been on that trip, an ostrich would actually walk up to the the ride that you're on and kind of just look at you, you know, like that. But as you go around, just randomly, there'll be ostrich eggs just laying, laying places. And they actually just lay them anywhere they come. I guess it's like I don't know, um, they're just going through life and they're like, man, I feel constipated and they just drop one. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly how all that works. And so they just lay them out and they're literally just, just there, right? And so, and so she just leaves them there. She doesn't understand that there's other stuff around. This is really a picture of people who do not have wisdom. They, they're very prideful with their wings. They think they know a lot of stuff. Are you tracking with me? When they're chased, they run and they laugh at the person chasing them, but everything else in in their life just doesn't make sense. They do not run their lives with wisdom. I would submit to you this morning that our world doesn't have a lot of wisdom in it. It just doesn't. If you look in, in our own culture, there are a lot of lies and there's a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of knowledge that is just lies. Come on. There is a lot of ignorance to understand what truth is and not fall for the lies that we are being fed. There's a lot of information out there. Some of it is true, but the majority of it is just, just false. There's just not a lot of wisdom in our 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 world. There's a lot of ostriches that struck their wings as if they know everything and as if they have knowledge and as if they're better than everyone else. But when you see the actions of people, it's just crazy. Listen, I don't really care what you think I I guess that's a little too strong. I really don't care politically what you think about this, but, man, you use chemical weapons against innocent people, you're an ostrich just strutting your wings. Come on. You, You use war power just because you can use it. You're just running from your enemy and saying that you're better than someone else. That's what you're doing. And so there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this world that just isn't wise, it just isn't wise, has no wisdom. There's a lot of knowledge. There's people that know how to do it, but wisdom hasn't exactly got into our minds the way that it should. Now, um, I am married, as you know, and uh, I got married on June 1st, 1996. I got engaged uh, to my wife at um, a cemetery. I guess that was a picture of where this thing was going, Right? So, so I, I, got, I got engaged at a cemetery during an argument. Um, um, by the way, the only argument I've won, uh, because at the end of that argument I proposed and of course, that ended it, and I, I won the argument, so to speak. But in doing that, what, what you do when you're, when you're trying to figure out who you're going to marry, and then you find out, and then you begin to look for a ring. Most of the guys in here have... Definitely look for a diamond ring, right? And there's a lot of research that goes into that diamond ring. It, there's different colors. There's different modes of diamonds. There's different, different like sparkling type of diamonds and stuff like that. So when I was looking for Nicole's, I was going for a diamond that was perfect. It, just no blemishes. In fact, when you look through the little, little thing, you know, and, and you look at it, that you would not see any blemishes there. Now, let me pause here a moment to say this. That young, I didn't know what I was looking for. You know what I mean? I'm looking for these blemishes that this salesman is telling me isn't there, and I'm just like, okay, well, I don't really see anything. I mean, he could have given, given me the wrong little thing to look through. But nonetheless, um, I was looking for the perfect diamond for my wife. Now, instead of going big, I went small, okay, because the smaller ones, one, were more affordable with the quality I wanted, and they, they just looked better. The other thing that I did was I didn't buy a fourth or a half. Um, Nicole's Diamond is in between those two, but it's absolutely perfect. It is a perfect diamond. There is no blemishes. You, if you look at that diamond, you cannot find a blemish. And it took me a long time to find that particular diamond that was the quality that I wanted to give somebody that I love. So it's not, it's not big. It's not, wow, look at that diamond, but it is very valuable because it's, it's really almost perfect. Are you following me? So this means that when my wife's diamond is dirty, it still sparkles. And when, it clean, when it's clean, it really sparkles. It really looks really good. So every now and then, I clean it for her, and she puts it on. And, and it, in the light, it's like, wow, that's, that's really a nice diamond. But it's small. It's very valuable. And it took me a long time to find that diamond to give to her. I valued her, and I wanted to show her my value with the quality of the ring that I got her. Is everybody following me? Right? So, um, at the time, I thought Nicole was perfect, so I thought a perfect diamond would go right with her. Um, Then we got married. So, uh, Job chapter 28, by the way, my wife, she's fine with with that, so don't don't feel uncomfortable. She jokes with me as well. She just doesn't get to tell her jokes in public, (laughs) like I do. So, yeah. So, Job chapter 28. Now, check this out. Surely, there is a mine for silver. I want to remind you that this book of the Bible was written before Genesis. It's the first book that was ever written in Scripture. This means before Moses, they had silver mines. Wrap your mind around that. And a place for gold that they refine. Okay? So they're mining for silver. And they're mining for gold. Iron is taken out of the earth. So way back then, they knew how to heat up a fire and bring iron out of ore. And copper is smelted from ore. I'm sorry, copper. Copper is smelted from ore. They knew how to bring copper out of ore. Man put an end to darkness and searches out the, to the farthest limit to the one in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind, and they swing to and fro. That is describing the contraption that they use to go into the mines. So the way it's pictured, this is a modern mine, so this isn't the mine back then, the way it's pictured is, is some sort of wooden contraption, or maybe it was metal, we really don't know, and they had some type of rope around that to where they could lower themselves into the mines, and then when they went down there, they had thought it through enough to figure out how to prop the mine up so it wouldn't fall in, and dig and dig, and they had thought how they could take fire or some type of thing that would light up the darkness so that they could actually mine and get to the very thing they were looking for. To me, that's pretty amazing. We often think in our tech, technological you know, age that we might be the smartest people that have ever lived. I would argue that the people closer to Adam's side were probably smarter than we are. right? Depravity hasn't been for thousands of years. And they had figured out how to go into the earth and find the stuff that was valuable to them. So they're looking for gold. They're looking for silver. They figured out how to bring copper out of ore. They they figured out how to do all of this. Verse five, as for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is churned up as fire. Its stones are this place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. The path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Now what that means is that mankind is a little bit different than the rest of the animals of creation. He is created differently. No bird mines for gold. I know the story. There's a golden goose and the golden goose came down, and there was a giant. I mean, I know, I know that story, but that isn't a real story. No, no bird really mines for gold. No lion goes after silver. Animals do not have that sort of wisdom about them. They do not have that sort of, uh, wisdom is the wrong word, they do not have that sort of um, way of things. Mankind does. Why? Because we're different. We're made in the image of God. We we think differently. We act differently. By the way, this, this is one one of many proofs that we did not evolve from other animals. We are far superior in what, how we think and how we go about life and how we do things than than animals are. Am I saying that your dog isn't smart? No, I want to keep my job. So your dog is smart, your cat is smart, That's that's good, but it's not like a human in smartness and in intellect and in emotion and in will there's something remarkably different about you and me because we're created in the image of almighty god okay that that's the way it is so verse 9 man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns the mountains by the roots he cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found? It is at this moment that you realize why Job is saying this about mining and about getting precious metals. What he is saying is mankind seems to value what's here on earth. They seem to value the gold. They seem to value the silver. They seem to value what makes them rich. They seem to value copper. They seem to value work ethic. They seem to value all this stuff that they go after. And unilaterally, they look for this stuff and they find it and then they take it home. So somebody at some point in time was in a mine or some place where they have diamonds and they got my wife's diamond and they chis- chiseled it out and then they sent it to a store and I bought it with money. There was a value to that diamond and someone, in, someone made money as a result of their search. So you can search through this world and find many things that are, that are of value, but the one thing that you can't find by mining or looking around is wisdom. You can't mine for wisdom. You can't unilaterally get wisdom by doing something to get. You, you cannot find wisdom. So this is, but where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? Next screen. So this means that there is skill. You can't search. For it. Look at verse 14. 14. The deep says it's not in me and the sea says it's not with me. Verse 15 says that you can't buy it. It cannot be bought for gold and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. You cannot go out and find wisdom and touch it with your hands, and you can't go out and find wisdom and buy it. In fact, if you were able to go out and tangibly, unilaterally, grab a hold of wisdom and buy it, you, couldn't, you would not have enough money to do it. Are you tracking with me? You could have all the gold in the world, but you couldn't buy wisdom. You could have all the silver in the world, but you could not buy wisdom. Wisdom is not for sale. It's not for sale. 16 through 19, it cannot be valued. 17, gold and glass cannot equal it. 18, no mention shall be made of it. The topaz of Ethiopia, verse 19, not equal to it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. So, verse 20, from where then does wisdom come? If you can't search it, you can't buy it, you can't work for it, where in the world does wisdom come from? Verse 21, it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and Death say, we have heard a rumor of it, And we've heard that rumor with our ears. So how do you and I find something called wisdom that we can't unilaterally work toward? How do we do that? Next screen. Do we sit around at a table and talk about it? Do we we go see a person of wisdom that sits in a chair, kind of like mine, and then people gather around that chair and they just listen to wisdom? Or do we just have like discussions, right, where we're really talking about deep stuff in order to get to wisdom? Is that how you find it? The answer to that question is you don't find wisdom there. So not only... Can't you buy it, but you, you can't talk yourself into it? No unilateral movement in this life enables you to obtain wisdom, and here's why. Wisdom is not of this world. It's not of this world. It's outside of this world. In fact, the only place that you can find wisdom is if you have, look for it vertically, The only way that you can find wisdom is that if you focus on God, who has it? But in this world, if you're looking for it here, it's not going to happen. But when you look for it vertically, you can find it. Look at verse 23. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. He knows the way to it. He knows its place. That's a comfort, right? However, I want you to think about this a moment. This does not say that God is wisdom. Wisdom is not an attribute of God. Did you know that? He has it, but it's not an attribute. God understands the way to it. He knows its place. Check this out. For he looks... To the ends of the earth, and he sees everything under the heavens. That is, by the way, a reference to Genesis chapter 1, where God created the heavens and the earth. And so he's saying in all of creation, he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. He created it. And when he gave to the wind its weight, an appropriate measure by the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain, and a way for the lightning of the thunder. Then, God saw it and declared it. He established it. He searched it out. So, what in, what, what in, what in the world does that mean? Right? What in the world does that mean? Well, um, it means that, well, God gave a decree, and he gave to the wind certain weights. Um, How many of you have enjoyed the breezes lately? Yeah, that's something that God put into place. How many of you remember the tornado last year that that ran through a school over here? Remember that? Um, That's a weight of wind. How many of you... Understand how wind works. You really don't. We can produce it maybe with a fan, right? But its start and its finish is kind of hard to comprehend. The way that it works, the way that it works in unison, the way that it goes around, and all the... the intrinsic nature of wind, the mystery of wind, is something that God, God put in place. And there's some wisdom in, in the way that that wind operates. Here's, here's, another, here's another one. He, he talks about wind here, and he also talks about what? Um, in appropriation, verses 25, the waters by measure... I don't know if you know this or not, but there's some places in the world where we do not really understand why that portion of the world isn't flooding. Did you know that? We understand that there's a gravitational pull between the moon and water, and that's what makes tides come in and out, but God actually separated the land from the water, and there's places in this world where really, if it wasn't for the moon, place would be flooded, and we know the tension between all of that, but we really don't understand how that water is, is kept at bay, right? Come on. I know this may be new, or you may just think I'm crazy, or maybe I'm just totally off, and that's okay. We don't understand how water stays where it stays. We don't understand that. It's um, a little insight. That I learned a while back from my daughter about global warming: um, if the icebergs melt, water—it's water doesn't expand; it becomes smaller. So if they all melt, we're not going to have a flood. But if the world cools and you have more ice in the water. water will go further. We should be worried about global cooling, (laughs) that's what we should be worried about. You take a glass of water, put some ice in it, the water level goes down when it melts, it doesn't go up. I'm just saying. And how does that work? Right. How does water work? It goes further. Verse 25, when he made the decree for the rain and the way for the lightning of the thunder. Can anybody really predict the weather? I know Lainey Pope, okay. Okay. But she struggles. There are some days, literally, I think weather people do what I do. They look outside, it's cloudy and raining. It's going to rain today. Have you ever noticed the app, like you have all these apps for weather, you search out the apps, none of them agree, but all of them change, right? They they change from day to day, hour to hour. One moment we're going to have snow, one moment we're not going to have snow because nobody really understands how weather actually works. We understand it to a degree, but we don't understand how all that put together. God created all of that, and he understands the way weather works, and there's some wisdom in, in his creation. And he understands how wind works, and there's some wisdom in that creation. And he he understands all of these things. But then you get to verse um, 27, and it says, "Then he saw it. What did he see? He saw wisdom. And he declared it. There's wisdom, he says. And he established it. This is going to be a part of my creation, wisdom. And he searched it out." This means that God, according to this text, created the world, saw wisdom, declared it, and he himself searched it out. And I'm going to stop here a moment, and I'm going to tell you, I do not know how that all works out. See, what would be easier for me to tell you this morning is God is wisdom and he just gives wisdom to everybody. But here in this passage of scripture, by his word, he says that he searches out wisdom. And it's something with his creative act of creating the world that produces this thing. And so he he created the world, he created all these things, and he saw wisdom and he declared it, and he searched it out. I do not know how that works out? I don't know. In fact, the Bible, the Bible doesn't really say much about it. Um, I know we have Proverbs, and I know we have a section in Proverbs chapter 8 where wisdom is equal to Jesus Christ, but here in this passage of Scripture, I'm not really sure how all that works out, so let me go with something that I know. Is that fair enough? Is that fair enough for everybody? Okay. Thomas Seaford, and I, by the way, Thomas is, is going through a drilling this coming Saturday morning at 8.30 here in the fellowship hall to become one of our elders. So we're going to meet and talk to him about theology and stuff, and we're going to do that. And then on the 29th, we're going to vote as a church to either approve him as an elder or not approve him based on that meeting and some other things. But Thomas and I were in the nursery last night. We were just talking, and, and um, this sermon came up, and, and he said, you know, um, every time that I teach on wisdom, Thomas says, I feel very inadequate. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Every time I teach on wisdom, I feel very inadequate. Every time I think about it in my personal life, I feel inadequate. And there's a reason for that. And because I'm a preacher, I'm going to give you three reasons. Okay, I'll give you three reasons for that. Okay, here's the first one. Look at verse 28. And he said to man, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. The fear of the Lord. When you and I fear the Lord in the appropriate way, we gain wisdom. There's a passage in Proverbs Actually, Psalms, it says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So it's a result of the fear of the Lord. Basically, what you subject yourself to, what you fear is what you subject yourself to. What you fear is what you subject yourself to. If you fear God, you subject yourself to him. But many of us fear other things in life. We fear losing our job. We fear being good enough. We fear all these other things. And we fail to fear God. We fail to feel, fear him. The reason that we struggle with fearing the Lord is we, we don't want to be terrified of the God that saved us. But at the same time, you need to be terrified of the God that saved you. There needs to be, among believers, a respect for God and who he is and what he does and his power. There needs to be a respect and a fear of him, a reverence of him, that when we think about God and doing right and wrong, it determines if we do what is right and what is wrong. We tend, as humans, to lose this idea of the fear of God because we want God to be loved, we want God to be merciful, we want God to just give us grace, and he gives all of that. But at the same time, he is not someone that shouldn't be feared or respected. If you really want to know how God feel, feels about sin, you think about the beating he put his son through on the cross, to take the punishment for your sins and his death and then his resurrection. God is serious about sin and God isn't someone to be trifled with. God isn't a genie. There's a, there's a story about an ostrich. that's really old and uh, I heard it a long time ago. And uh, there's this guy that brought his ostrich into a diner. And the waitress came up and said, "Uh, you have an ostrich with you? And he said, yeah, I do. She said, okay. Well, what would you like to eat? He said, well, I'll have a hamburger and fries and a drink, and the ostrich will have the same thing. And the ostrich went like this, shook its head, yes. So brought out a hamburger, fries, and a drink, and and they ate, and she came back with the bill, and as, as soon as she laid that bill on the table, he reached into his pocket and pulled out the correct change for that meal and gave it to her. And she was like, wow, they must have been here before. Well, this went on for several weeks. They would come in, they would, hold, uh, they would order a hamburger, fries, and a drink, right? And he would always reach into his pocket and bring out the exact change. But there was a Friday night that the man and his ostrich went in to the, to the diner, and, and they sat there, and he said, well, tonight we're going to have the steak, baked potato, and a Pepsi. And... The waitress looked at the ostrich, and the ostrich went, agreeing that that's what it would eat, right? So she brought up the steak, she brought up the stuff, and and the bill came to $36.43, and the man reached into his pocket, and he pulled out $36.43 and gave it to her. And she said, I don't understand this. Each week, you always give me the correct change. How do you do it? He said, well... Um, I was at an estate sale a couple of years ago and I found this lamp and I rubbed it and a genie came out and gave me two wishes. My first wish was that anytime I had something to purchase or something to buy, that I would reach into my pocket and pull out exactly the amount that I need to pay. She said, wow, that, that's pretty smart to, to wish for that for a genie. Most people rich, riches and they spend it all, but you'll never run out of money, Right? She said, but why do you travel around with an ostrich? He said, well, my, my second wish for, was for him to give me a chick with long legs that would agree with everything that I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, God isn't your genie. He isn't somebody that you just pray to and ask for things and he just gives them to you. God is is somebody to be feared, to be feared. And the fear and respect of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It It is only when we start fearing God that we really begin to understand what this life is about. We begin to understand what this life is about. And what you fear is what you subject yourself to. If you fear your boss, you subject yourself to him. If you, fear this, if you fear this happening, this happening, but if you fear the Lord, the thing that happens is all those fears in your life just dissipate because you really understand who is in control of your life. If there are people in your life determining how you act at a given moment, you fear them more than you do God. If you are different in one place than you are another place, you are fearing the people in those places, and you're not fearing God. If you fear God, you are the same at home, you're the same at work, you're the same when you go to Walmart, you're the same when you drive down the road, you are the same, you do not change because you fear the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom. Why do we feel inadequate when we talk about wisdom? It's because I know I do not fear God enough. And it makes me feel inadequate. I need to fear God more. I need to have a better respect for who he is and what he has done and what is going to happen in the future. I need to have a better respect for him. A fear for him, I need to do that. And so I feel very inadequate because I feel like I just don't fear him enough. And I would bet that every person in this room can work on their reverence and awe of a holy God today. Amen? Second, check this out. Behold, the fear of the Lord is, that is wisdom. Okay? And to turn away from evil is understanding. To turn away from evil is understanding. What what is, why do we feel so inadequate when we talk about wisdom? Because when you fear the Lord, you know you have to turn away from evil. And a lot of us, a lot of us hold on to evil ways. The reason that we hold on to those sins, the reason we know we're not acting right in that particular situation, but we do it anyway, is because we haven't turned totally away from evil. And the reason that we haven't totally turned away from evil and sin is because we don't have a the right perspective on God that we should fear him and respect him. We do not understand the the way God feels when we sin. He hates sin. Ladies and gentlemen, he hates unrighteousness. He is holy. He can't say, Well, that was okay this time, but just don't do it next time. God can't say that because he's holy, he's righteous, and he's solid. He's not wishy washy. What is right is right, and what is wrong is wrong. And there's a way that he has. He wants you to live. He sent his son to die on the cross so that you would have the opportunity to live that way. And if you don't have a right respect of God, you cannot turn from evil. And the reason wisdom makes me feel inadequate, and the concept of wisdom makes me feel inadequate, is because I know that there are things in my life I need to turn from. It's not that I'm not trying to turn from them. It's just that I know that even this week, I have failed to live the way that Christ really wants me to live. And honestly, that is a battle that I'm going to take all the way to my grave, but I will not take it beyond the grave because my victor is Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. But you feel so inadequate. So what is... Those are two great reasons, but what is the main reason you feel inadequate? Well, we feel inadequate because if you're striving to fear the Lord and and if you're striving to turn away from evil, at best, if you have gained wisdom, you're only at the beginning. You never make it past the beginning of wisdom. Check out this Psalm 111, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is what? All those who practice it have a good understanding. That good understanding, and I don't have time to unpack that today, means a good understanding of what is right and wrong, what the Bible says is right and what the Bible says is wrong, living the way the Bible tells you to live. All those who practice it, the fear of the Lord, have a good understanding. You see, you, you and I, even, even if we're working on fear of the Lord and even if we're turning from evil, we'll never be past the beginning of wisdom. There, there's not a beginning and then you, you reach a midsection where you really become wise and then, and then there's advanced wisdom in this life and you've got it, right? You, you never get here and you're never in the middle. Humankind is always at the beginning. Why? Because we're not as big as God is. Come on. And the more you understand about this life and the more wisdom that you learn and the more that he gives to you, the more you understand there is stuff in the universe that you do not understand. There is wisdom out there that you cannot comprehend. You cannot understand everything. And it is so much, it is humbling to you. You begin to understand that I have This much wisdom in a universe that God created that is this big. The more you pursue wisdom, the more you pursue the fear of the Lord, the more you pursue turning from your evil ways, the more you begin to understand that you have only scratched the surface of wisdom. And if you're sitting here today saying, I'm beyond the beginning of wisdom... And I, I've been a part of this life a long time, so I'm like in a mid-range wisdom. I just want you to remember that ostriches also strut their wings and run from their opponents and laugh at them. Oh Oh. oh. Do you ever feel small? I do. But here's what I know. Jesus is on my side. And he has beyond the advanced course of wisdom in his capabilities. And for some reason, he has chosen to love me and make me a part of his family So when I feel small and that I've only scratched the beginning of wisdom, it doesn't bother me because I know who saved me. Come on. I know who saved me. I know who is with me. So today, I know this has been kind of different. So today, I don't know what you're going through, but this is what I know. There's wisdom to be found if you fear the Lord and turn from evil. And it takes a lifetime of fearing the Lord and turning from evil to gain even the beginning of wisdom. But to gain the beginning of wisdom is worth the trouble that you have to go through to fear the Lord the way that you're supposed to and turn from evil the way that you're supposed to. It is worth it. You can spend all your time going after gold. You can spend all your time going after the best things in this world and building up your bank account and and building up your storehouses and gaining all the prestige that comes with that. But at the end of the day, if you do not have wisdom, you're like an ostrich flapping its wings. Wisdom, the fear of God and righteousness, is what you and I should be going toward. So with that, let's pray. Our only Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, and we thank you for um, this message on wisdom.